your heart. It's the only one you have. Fortunately, you also have a choice. Expert cardiologists, talented surgeons, highly skilled specialists, all of whom chose WakeMed. Why? The main reason is the same reason patients choose WakeMed. Everything you need for the best possible care is right here. Learn more at WakeMed.org. WakeMed Heart and Vascular Physicians. Your heart, your choice. Hello, hello. Welcome to The Wrap. I'm Travis Fain, one of WRAL's state government reporters. And I'm Will Doran, another state government reporter. Yeah, Will, uh, new-ish here at WRAL. You've been here uh, about a month, right, from the News and Observer? Yeah, about a month now. Uh, it's, it's, it's been going great. Very busy. Yeah. Busy session. Yeah, we were, so we've bolstered our team. We're glad to have Will. And uh, speaking of busy, so it's Friday afternoon right now, and we woke up this morning to a bunch of missed messages because Speaker of the House Tim Moore had been in a, a car accident. Uh, what, what police say and what the speaker says is that someone, uh, a DWI driver, had just slammed into the back of uh, a Chevy Tahoe the speaker was riding in. He, he has a security detail, a police officer uh, with the General Assembly Police who drives him hither and yon around the state. And they were coming back from Wilson uh, to Raleigh when this guy just kind of rammed into him, Will. Yeah, uh, well, and it seems like you said it wasn't intentional. You know, most lawmakers have license plates on their cars that say, like, a, a specific number and say this person's a House member, a Senate member. Sounds like he wasn't driving one of those cars. He was not. And Moore has, uh, you know, uh, his own personal car with the license plate. But this was an, this is an undercover. It's a black Chevy Tahoe undercover police vehicle. So it's got the lights, but, like, they're hidden in the grill and in the way – not on top. Like, you cannot tell this is a, a police vehicle or an official vehicle – and yeah, so I mean, the, the guy apparently rammed into him like three or more times, Moore said, as they're flying down the highway. Uh, I Looking at the vehicle, it was packed, backed into a parking space where it was right up against the wall at the General Assembly. So I couldn't really get behind it to see, but I, I couldn't really see any damage. The speaker said the damage uh, is very minor. But you know, if you're going down the highway and someone not only hits you once, but then hits you twice more at least, I mean, at the, at the time they thought they were being attacked yeah that would be scary absolutely it, absolutely terrifying but it but it turns out you know no one was injured and it turns out police are saying yeah we just think this was this was random they just happened to hit uh this vehicle and uh yeah so <laughs> and from the other guy's perspective can you imagine i mean one you should never be driving drunk two you hit a car and then all of a sudden police lights go off in the car and right you're just like oh no right that's that yeah and i don't know how in it this guy was apparently so the police lights go go on after he rams into the car uh and he kind of tries to go around the, or does go around and then the the police officer you know who's driving uh, the speaker uh, his name is jason purdue by the way this officer they basically tail him follow him and the speaker said told reporters today that this guy just kind of came to a stop in the left-hand lane uh, I think this is on 87 coming into Raleigh and eventually moved over to the side. So it sounds like, you know, b based on these descriptions, he was, he was pretty inebriated. Uh, but yeah, we're very thankful that this did not go worse because it certainly could have been. So, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I will note uh, North Carolina General Assembly police, they're real police. The, you know, they, they have arrest powers and all the other powers that police have uh, around the state. Uh, the speaker has a security detail, kind of like the governor or the lieutenant governor. So that that's how that works. I'm sure people uh, who don't know the ins and outs of that have some questions. Let's talk about the state budget briefly. 
So you're going to bring people in with the exciting news of the speaker in the car crash, and then you're going to make them listen about the budget. That's the uh, yeah, and let's pretend like there's something exciting at the end of the podcast, too. <laughs> it's just the middle. Oh, yeah. We're, we're getting to the good stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I sat through a two-hour-long budget meeting the other day, and we will try to keep the podcast significantly uh, shorter than that. Yeah, we did come in, you know, about an hour and 15 minutes. And <laughs> no, so it, the presentations are going on right now to the various budget committees, and you kind of learn about how the budget works. I don't know that we're going to get into that. It, the, the first thing that usually happens as the legislature tries to come together on a budget, it is not, well, let's just wait for the governor to put out his budget proposal in May, I mean, excuse me, in March, which is kind of what we expect. But the, the the first thing that happens is the House and Senate leadership come together on a spending cap. They decide, all right, here's how much money we're going to spend, and then we'll decide how much gets spent here, there, and 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 then elsewhere. The House and Senate are talking about it. Berger, uh, Senate uh, leader uh, Phil Berger, said uh, on Tuesday that they hadn't hit on a cap yet. Maybe that's coming pretty soon. Uh, but that'll be the first step, and then we'll go. I think we're going to see big tax cuts or at least some tax cuts on top of the tax cuts already planned. Like right now we're planning to go down to zero on the corporate income tax. Not by, this year. By 2030. By 2030, yeah. That's right. And and we're also on a glide path to lower the personal income tax. You might see that accelerated. You might see an additional tax cut put on top of that. The Senate has, for a very long time, wanted to get rid of the franchise tax, which is a business tax. So everything we're hearing will from both chambers, really, is that a ta- an additional tax cut will be part of this budget. Yeah, well, and... That's certainly what you know people are saying right now. It'll be interesting because the the big big budget presentation that I referenced earlier, um, you know, the staff came in and they said, you know, we're not necessarily predicting a recession in the next couple of years, but certainly a slowdown in the economy, and you know, things are not going to be booming quite as much as they have in the last few years. So, will that give lawmakers maybe a pause on further tax cuts? I don't know. Um, but that, you know, that's certainly something to consider. And I think someone asked uh, Senator Berger about that earlier this week. And he said, well, you know, we've always we keep having these uh, we keep over collecting beyond what we project. So I took that as to be he's not so worried about concerns about an economic slowdown in North Carolina's economy does seem to be strong. But, yeah, uh, some some small revenue decreases, dec- actual decreases predicted uh, small percentages over the next year or so in the out year. So you're, you're right. We'll see. Um, real quickly on Medicaid, uh, Senator Berger also said this week that there's no timetable to file a Senate bill. The House bill is out. Uh, it's basically just a straight Medicaid expansion bill. The, the Senate, of course, wants various regulatory reforms thrown in there. We've talked about it many, many times. Uh, so if you're, if you're looking for Medicaid to get resolved soon, I don't know that the Senate is all that eager to, to get moving on that. No. Well, and Governor Cooper came out, um, gosh, this was maybe a week or two ago, and said, like, Look, y'all really need to get this done by March. There's this, you know, cutoff in June, and all, all of this is very complicated. Right. It, you know, if people want more details, they can go read the article about it. <laughs> but basically, there's you know this cutoff coming up in June, and you know the the federal government is going to give the state 1.8 billion dollars to just do whatever they feel like if we expand Medicaid. It's basically just like a yeah, not you don't want to say bribery, but a signing bonus. We'll yeah, call it a signing th- bonus. There's a signing bonus, and then there's also the HASP, which is for right. hospitals specifically, and is another one point eight billion dollars. Right, and you know, with the, the change in the fiscal year in July, you know, Governor Cooper saying this really needs to get done by June, which 
really means that you need to like take some action by March. And here it is almost March. And like you said, we still haven't seen the Senate bill. The The House has their bill. Um, they've passed it. Um, I don't think anyone expects the Senate to be big fans of what the House passed just because, I mean, we, we went through this all last year. And I, the Senate's delay, I don't know if it's a, a negotiating tactic because I don't from, you know, talking with Senator Berger, he doesn't seem to have budged that much in his own personal opinions on, right. you know, what needs to be tied to Medicaid expansion to to get his approval. So I don't, we'll see what happens. But Yeah, it's always a negotiating tactic that, until someone tells me different. Uh, also, abortion, uh, no timetable on a Republican version of that bill, uh, dialing back uh, when you what, at what point in a pregnancy you can get an abortion. We know it's coming. We don't know when. Uh, the Governor Cooper, though, in North Carolina – joined an association of something like 20 states, uh, Democratic states, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, where the governors are vowing to protect abortion rights. I, I don't know exactly what that means in practice, but uh, I did see some national news coverage of that, I believe, this week. Yeah, it, abortion's tricky because, you know, obviously Republicans want to go ahead and get it done. You know, they don't want to, you know, <laughs> the closer to 2024 it gets, the more of a political hot potato that becomes, obviously, uh, given as, you know, the the broad national opposition that we saw to abortion in 2022. Um, but at the same time, you know, they do still have to get one Democrat in the House to vote on a veto override. And so, you know, they have to figure out something that'll, you know, be good enough for the GOP base, but that can also get at least one Democrat on board. And also you don't want to hang suburban Republicans out to dry, right? I mean, there are probably plenty of Republicans in the House and Senate caucus, probably more the House, uh, who are nervous about what that bill is going to look like. For sure. Uh, One-time biggest donor in North Carolina politics, Greg Lindberg, who owns a bunch of companies, including insurance companies, and is under investigation all over the place. Uh, he has been indicted again. This is not the bribery uh, accusation against him, which is still pending. He was uh, convicted of bribery a few years back, trying to bribe, uh, they said, uh, insurance commissioner Mike Causey, he served some prison time, then the Court of Appeals threw it out because the judge had given poor instructions, the Court of Appeals said. So he's going to face retrial on that. I think it's probably in the fall. Once November. We, it was, yeah, there you go. Once was March, but it's gotten kicked into the fall. Uh, he has been indicted on separate crimes. These are basically, what, money laundering crimes? I mean, is that a, a, a shorthand way it's, to... It's fraud. Um, you know, I, I can't cite the federal statutes to you, but yeah, it's, um, you know, basically, you know, defrauding his own companies and other companies to um, inflate the value of his companies to get loans and then also to just kind of skim money off the top for himself. Um, And the Fed say that this led to higher insurance premiums for all of his customers um, as well as, you know, unnecessary costs for these kind of separate companies that he was doing business with. Now, if you listen to Greg Lindbergh, what he told us was, you know, this is all just made up and, you know, he's being railroaded here. And they said, he said it's actually completely related to the bribery case, even though on paper it really has nothing to do with it because he thinks he's going to win his bribery case again. And he says that they're only filing these charges now to basically pressure him because the feds are scared of losing that bribery case. Right. He basically says that he's being framed uh, by uh, the state insurance commissioner, by the FBI, by the Securities and Exchange Commission, by a Wake County judge who found fraud among his insurance company. I mean, 
Everybody's yeah. out to get him. Get in line, man. Everybody, <laughs> everybody coming for the, this poor billionaire. Uh, I hope, I hope it works out for him. We'll see. Uh, I mean, you know, at one point he had several different multi-million-dollar homes around the Triangle, right. Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill. I think um, one of them had a tunnel in between, like uh, one building and an outbuilding. It was like a concrete tunnel. Yeah, on, underneath. <laughs> I think nice. the the most expensive house ever in uh, Wake County, up in North Raleigh, he had some mansion up there, and uh, prosecutors say that I. I I don't think it was all of those homes, but at least some of those homes they alleged that he bought with uh, funds that he misappropriated from. That his sounds right. Families. He also had a yacht called the Double Down at one point. I don't know where the Double Down is these days. But I think the Double Down may have gotten sold off during his first trial, but I'd, I'd have to go back and look that up. <laughs> it, it, it is a saga, folks. I promise you. I want to run through some uh, some bills here. How about that? I, let me hit one real quick, then I'll give you the the CRT bill, but. Uh, Joyce Kravick, Senator Joyce Kravick's surprise medical billing bill. This is the one that requires, generally speaking, 72 hours notice if you're going, you know, if you go into a hospital for a treatment, the hospital is in your network, so you pay a certain amount, your insurance company does, but a doctor or someone who helps you in that hospital is out of network. A lot of people get these surprise bills. They're like, wait a minute, now, why is this more? Uh, you would have, the, the hospital would have to give you 72 hours notice. This is something that passed the Senate unanimously, I believe, last year, has passed the Senate again unanimously uh, this week and will be before the House where I assume it will continue to not pass uh, because that's been the fate in the past. Yeah, it obviously faces some opposition from special interests um, who who don't want to see it. Um, but while the, uh, you know, some bills are focused on policy and consumer protection, things like that, we've also seen, as everyone knows, a lot of just like culture war bills um, that are, you know, kind of in this broader national pattern, um, you know, and one of those that we saw this week was a bill to ban critical race theory in schools. Um, it's framed as kind of a both sides sort of bill. Um, you know, teachers would be banned from promoting racism in the classroom and, you know, issues like white supremacy. Um, they would also be banned from talking or, you know, promoting issues like systemic racism. Um, you know, the, the idea that, you know, America, just the way it's set up is kind of inherently biased against non-white citizens. Um, yeah, and, and it's one of those bills where the language sounds agreeable. You read it on the page and think, oh, okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, I always encourage people to think about how things will be implemented, the impact, whether there'll be a chilling effect in education, you know, on the actual intent. But the language is like, it, it basically says you can't promote that one race or sex is inherently superior to another race or sex. You can't promote that an individual just solely by the virtue of their race or sex is inherently racist. I mean, again, this is pushing back on, like you said, ideas like critical race theory, uh, but in the it, it limits the way race and racism can be discussed in our schools. Yeah, and when Governor Cooper vetoed this exact same bill last year, um, what he said was basically like, this is just intended to scare teachers away from talking about issues like racism, you know, talking about, you know, ex exploring concepts, you know, around slavery and the founding of the country and things like that. And, um, you know, there, there's a provision that says, you know, if a school brings in a speaker on any subject, say they're coming to talk about football, you know, but if they have ever in the past expressed any opinions about critical race theory, then, you know, the school has to like, one, do the due diligence to figure that out and two, then report it to the state. Um, you know, so there, you know, critics of this bill say it's just intended to have a chilling effect on just, you know, not bringing in any speakers or curriculum or books or anything on that. Um, now, we have to assume it'll probably pass. Um, the sponsor is John Torbett, who's the chair of the K-12 Education Committee. Uh, you know, having him on board, uh, you know, 
shows that it's probably got some some support. And it passed, I, I think, along party lines uh, last year. So I, I, I assume, yeah, we're heading for another veto, and then we'll just see if the Democrats stick together on it. Yep. So. Yep. Um, on the same kind of subject, the, the the University of North Carolina Board of Governors passed a, a change in its application process, both for employees and students, uh, basically saying, hey, you can't ask these these DEI questions, these diversity, equity, and inclusion questions. I mean, if you've applied for a job or to a school, you've probably seen something that says, hey, tell us about how you value diversity and how we value diversity, so how would you aid that? So th- this is kind of targeting that. It, the language says that the university shall, quote, neither solicit nor require an employer or applicant for academic admission or employment to affirmatively ascribe or to opine about beliefs, affiliations, ideals, or principles regarding ma- – I can't even read all this – regarding <laughs> matters of contemporary political debate or social action. So it seems like very broad language, but that's what – we all know what this is, is targeting. It's the same idea, this critical race theory – uh, discussions of racism, discussions of diversity, uh, and this idea that that's important. So we, we we shall see how that is is implemented as well. But that passed the University Board of Governors this week. Yep, bills uh, to run through. Tell us, uh, you tell us a little bit about the ICE bill. Yes, um, we have. This is what I think the third attempt at passing this bill to force sheriffs to work with ICE, even if the sheriffs don't want to. Um, basically, once someone is released from the county jail whether it's because their charges are dropped or because they have finished their sentence or they make bail, you know, for whatever reason, they're getting released. Um, you know, sometimes ICE comes in and asks sheriffs, hey, can you continue holding those people behind bars for us even though they're supposed to go because we want to come pick them up? Yeah, Immigration Customs Enforcement, ICE. Sure, yes. Yeah, sorry. I, <laughs> I Probably everybody already knows that is listening to the 17th minute of, the, of this podcast. <laughs> Bless you people. We love all our listeners. Um, but yeah, so most sheriffs around the state, you know, nearly every county already cooperates with ICE. But some of the big urban counties – uh, which the are also Democrat counties to, you know, uh, large Hispanic populations say they don't want to do this. They say it makes people scared of cooperating with the police. Um, you know, when someone is undocumented and the police come around, you know, their neighborhood asking for tips on a shooting or drug sales or anything like that. They say that this just makes people more scared of the cops and less likely to cooperate in investigations. So some of the sheriffs say they don't want to do this. There's also concerns that they'll get sued you know, for holding people when the people are supposed to have been released. Um, You know, there's questions of constitutional violations there. Um, But uh, this bill would override those concerns and basically force those sheriffs to work with ICE even if they don't want to. Yeah, force particularly the sheriffs in Wake, Durham, Forsyth, Guilford, Mecklenburg, and Buncombe counties to work uh, with ICE. Uh, Pistol permit bill also uh, passed, I believe it was this week. Things starting to run together. Uh, But it passed the House, I believe, this week. Briefly, what does that one do? Yeah, that that has passed both the House and the Senate. Um, and right now, uh, when you want to go buy a handgun, you have to get a permit from your local sheriff. And so they'll run a background check on you. And they're also, they're given some pretty wide latitude to basically just be like, mm, Yeah, I don't know about this guy. Yeah, this, this is a bad dude. You know, he's he's somehow managed to avoid actually getting collared for anything, but, you know. And sometimes it's based on mental health issues. It can uh, be based on mental health issues. It can be based on domestic violence issues. You know, a lot of times people, um, you know, domestic abusers, their victims will not cooperate with the police. So the charges get dropped so they never get convicted. But, you know, if the police have gone out to the same house 20 times, 
you know, they know that there are domestic issues at that house. Um, and so these pistol permits kind of go a step further than federal background checks do. Um, and then this bill would repeal those pistol permits so that we would only have the federal background check system. And a big part of it for supporters of this is that it would really speed things up because these, these permit applications with the sheriff can take, you know, a minimum of days in some counties and up to even a couple months in, in other counties. And yeah, there have been some counties, I believe uh, Wake County, one of them where, uh, People have said they felt like sheriffs were purposefully sitting on these applications and just kind of taking their sweet time. Yeah, to Wake process County got them. sued over it uh, during COVID because it was taking so long, and people basically accused the the Democratic sheriff of attempting to institute gun control by kind of slow walking these these permits um, during the pandemic. Um, yeah, this has been a the, a top uh, priority for gun rights advocates uh, for a while, and the, the Sheriff's Association has gotten on board with the idea of getting rid of it. They say kind of the background check, the NICS, N-I-C-S background check, the federal background check you do when you buy a gun at a store uh, would cover this. But, I mean, that, that does leave the question open of personal sales. If I sell you, Will, a gun, I don't have to run a background check on you because I'm not a licensed firearm dealer. Correct. Correct. And also the there's a domestic violence angle, too, which is – even the people in North Carolina who do get convicted of domestic violence, that NIC system is actually legally banned from flagging those convictions because the prosecutors essentially charge them too broadly here. Um, so the federal background check doesn't pick up those domestic violence convictions. It, it's a loophole that one at one point this bill tried to close, but that got stripped out. Yes, actually, there was a Republican-backed amendment to fix that domestic violence loophole, but then we heard some out. You know, outcry from the gun rights groups, and suddenly that language disappeared. Yeah, and, and so this bill at one point had a co-sponsor, Democrat Michael Ray, uh, who, I mean, that would be the one vote you need to overturn the governor's veto, but he voted against uh, the bill, even though he uh, had co-sponsored it. Well, what do you tell you about that? Well, you know, it's always hard to say exactly what's going on behind the scenes, and you know, I, you know. In the end, we saw every single Democrat did vote against this. Um, and like I said, you know, that happened after the domestic violence protections got stripped out of it. Um, but what Michael Ray said was that, you know, he had talked to some sheriffs in his district and uh, discovered that there was some opposition to this. So, you know, um, that, you know, sounds like a reasonable uh, argument. You know, hey, my local sheriff doesn't want this. This is something that affects the local sheriff. So on on this issue it. that has been around uh, for the past two sessions, and I guess I didn't know that when I signed on to the bill uh, a month ago or whatever. <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, real quickly, a bunch of local school calendar bills moved in the House this week. This is to kind of uh, get around a state mandatory. Uh, you can't start before August. It's somewhere in the August 26th range that you're not allowed to start for. Uh, so those moved in the House, as they often do. The Senate uh, leader, Phil Berger, says, nah, we're not doing that. The only thing we might need to change in this area are increasing punishments for systems that flout those rules. So the opposite of what the House wants to do, uh, you know, that's status quo on that. Medical marijuana bill, we expect that to be on the Senate floor next week. Uh, we've kind of been over that one before. Yeah, you know, I mean, this has been going on for a year plus now. Um, there, there have been some minor changes to the bill, but it's essentially the same as what already passed the Senate last year and then failed to move forward in the House. Last but we year. think it, we think it's going to move forward in the House this year. That's kind of the best bet we've got. That's that's kind of the the general vibe. Um, talk yeah, to Senator man. Bill Ray. It's good vibes on that bill. I, you know what? I'm not making uh, any more weed I, jokes. I set you up for that one. Come on. <laughs> no, I talked to Senator Bill Rabin, who's the 
the lead sponsor on that powerful Senate Republican, and he said that you know he's talked to House Republicans, and there does seem to be more support for it this year. Um, he made some changes in one committee that I covered recently, um, one that the Sheriff's Association had asked for, one that the State Medical Board had asked for, and then another one to basically tip the scales a little bit in favor of dispensary companies that want a license if they will agree to open more stores in rural areas. Interesting. Because we're only going to give out a very limited number of licenses. There's a concern that, you know, they're just going to cluster in the cities. Um, so kind of, a, you know, to help out some of the rural areas, they're going to There's a requirement that the formula I, for these I think contracts. some number have to be in tier one counties, which is a, a measurement of poverty, I believe. Correct. Uh, yeah, tier one, I think, is the 40 poorest counties in the state. There it's basically all of eastern North Carolina, except for a few places on the coast. And then a little bit in Western. Also saw a bill filed this week to add police associations to the Criminal Justice Education and Training Standards Commission. Uh, this is an entity that kind of sets uh, expectations for law enforcement in the state. This would put uh, the Sheriff's Association, uh, no, excuse me, the, the Fraternal Order of Police and the Police Benevolent Association, I believe. That is correct. Would get seats on it. Uh, sports wagering bill. As we, we talk, I believe we're still waiting on that language. But, I mean, it's been turned in, like, staff is is, is doing the, like, commas and whatnot on that bill. So I'm sure we'll be talking about yeah, that our, bill. Yeah, our colleague Brian Murphy, who both of us sit next to, has been running around all day uh, <laughs> working on that. So I'm sure by the time people hear this podcast, uh, he'll have something for them to read. Yeah, I promise you, you want to know about that bill, WRIL.com. It'll be, it'll be, we'll be on top of it. Several agency bills filed this week. Folks probably know what that is, but, I mean, it's literally uh, a a government agency says, hey, we want the following changes. They're usually like maybe 15 pages long, a bunch of different stuff. A bunch of those got filed this week. H-197, that's the Department of uh, uh, DIT, Department of Information Technologies bill. I'll just note quickly that it's got some changes to the great grants. Those are the grants for broadband money. Uh, And and basically right now you can can apply for a grant to – expand your broadband network in a certain area that's not served. But one of the problems that the, this program has had is that other companies have said, no, nah, we, we, want, we want, you know, we don't want our competitor to get a grant to run out there. So we're going to protest that. So this kind of tightens the protest rules a little bit. A ton of those things have been protests. So the, the DIT wants to change that a little bit. H199, that's the DMV bill. Among other things, it sets the state up for North Carolina to eventually start offering mobile driver's licenses. Will, did you know mobile driver's licenses were a thing? Apparently, they're a thing in a lot of states. I did not know that. Yeah, we're old. My driver's license is very stationary. So Yeah, it's just... It just it sits there in my wallet and doesn't move around. Yeah. so But yeah, apparently, you can get them on your cell phone, and we're going to kind of pilot... Oh, that's what you meant by mobile driver's license. Okay. What did you think of that? <laughs> I was just joking about one that was... Good. Walking around on its own. Okay. H-19, we're getting off the rails. H-198 <laughs> is DOT's uh, agency bill. It's a whole bunch of potentially interesting language. Need to look at it more closely. Give us a call if you've already looked at it closely. It seems to exempt some projects from state contracting rules. It, I, As I read, it would end a ban that we have now on spending DOT money on bicycle or pedestrian projects. That's kind of a big deal. There's billboards language in there. We fight about billboards every Session or two. The billboards never go away. Never goes away. Uh, the license plate readers, these are the things that the police officers can use to like scan your license plate as you zoom by on the highway and then search and see if the car has been stolen. I mean, it's, it, it, it's a privacy issue, but it's also a law enforcement issue because a lot of crimes have been solved this way. 
uh, there is there's some language in there to permit that in more places. Uh, there's a significant, I think, change for HOV lanes, which no longer would have a preference for motorcycles, electric vehicles, or 15 passenger vans. That's in the DOT bill. Again, that, that's H198. Probably deserves some more scrutiny. That is all I've got, except for maybe some stuff on next week's schedule. Will, you got anything else? Nope. That sounds great. All right. I'll mention briefly, uh, Senate committees next week are taking up penalties for shooting up power substations. This is, people will remember, the Moore County uh, substation that got shot up and caused a blackout. We're going to increase penalties for that. That bill will be out. Uh, we think the medical marijuana bill, probably on the Senate floor. Yeah. For- Tuesday is what I've heard, but, you know. Subject to change. And also Tuesday, the Joint Appropriations Committees that that meet this time of year, they will continue doing their thing. So if you ain't got nothing to do at 830 in the morning, you can go learn about that state budget. They're great meetings. They really are. All right, that's all we got. Thank you so much for listening to The Wrap. We'll get you caught up again next week. At Wake Med MyCare 365, we deliver convenience others only talk about every day of the year primary care and urgent care under one roof. Multiple locations, virtual visits, walk-in or schedule an appointment online. From annual physicals and routine care to sinus infection, strep, or the flu, we couldn't be more convenient. Learn more about our kind of care and our kind of convenience at wakemed.org.